As always, a joy to be with you. Some great things. Uh, what a prayer meeting before the service. If you want to get encouraged and the service is not good enough for you, come to the prayer meeting beforehand. You'll come in red hot then. It's fantastic. I don't know that I've known a, for a long time a prayer meeting where probably a third of the people present here now, or a quarter certainly, were at the prayer meeting beforehand. There's not many churches that are like that. Um, that's a fantastic thing. Second, um, it says in Psalm 22, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will praise you. That's what that storytelling time is all about. It's bringing praise to him, telling in the midst of the congregation how good and how great he is. And where's that woman who, led, who began singing in song? Thank you, Jesus. I wish I had courage like you have to start leading in song like that. That was great. Thank you. And another great principle I learned from one of those testimonies, friends, this is a principle of the Christian life, for some of you at least here, my wife told me to go, so I did. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to start with a quiz. There's only one question in this quiz, and that is, do you know where this text in Scripture comes from? Let's see if we can put it up. Uh, it's describing a person. I'm not going to tell you whether this person is male or female. Um, it, this person only appears in this one place in the Bible. In other words, they're a little bit anonymous otherwise. And I don't know whether you've ever felt that you're an anonymous sort of Christian. You're not well known, you don't have a big platform, and so on and so forth. Um, and this person was a bit like that. One place in the Bible. I've got two people at the back there who think they might know where it comes from. You're not doing the reading, either of you, are you? <laughs> yeah, it's a judge. It could be a judge, but it's not a judge. It's not Proverbs, no. Dorcas, it's a good try, but no. Joel, no, not Joel either. Sorry? It's in the book of Acts. Oh, now we're getting somewhere. How many people appear in the book of Acts? 355. No, I don't, I don't, I don't know actually the answer to that question. But it's in the book of Acts. Well done. Yes. It's neither Priscilla nor Dorcas. Even Anne doesn't know. <laughs> she says it's Stephen. No? must have switched it off. I have. Sorry about that. Too energetic. Uh, we seem to be pretty low on the battery. I'm going to go over to this one. Okay. Uh, <coughs> okay, so you want the answer? Okay, okay. Okay, let's go on to the next slide. And the next phrase. Now, I have doctored it slightly, haven't I? Because I said the word of God rather than the law, but the law in those days was the word of God. That's how they would have described it. And the believers were Jews at that stage as well. So actually, I think that's a fair adaptation of that. Oh, I see. That's no good either. Okay. <laughs> okay, so I have doctored it slightly, but you understand what I'm saying. The law was the word of, is the word of God. The town is Damascus. 
the believers, of course, were Jewish believers in the reality of the living, powerful, all-powerful God. So this is a typical believer of his day. And he's otherwise anonymous. Now, do you know where he comes in the Acts of the Apostles? What he's known for? Come on, somebody. Yeah, right back. Absolutely. He is the one, the one, the one believer amongst all the other believers of whom there are countless hundreds at this stage. The one believer who is asked by the Lord to go to pray over Saul as Saul is intent upon killing the Christians. So I'm just going to tell you the story of Ananias a bit and what happened to him at that moment when he was asked to do this. And I want to say, um, some of this sermon came to me in the middle of St. Paul's on Tuesday afternoon when I was there for the consecration of some bishops. And I went because someone I know had been uh, invited to be a bishop and I thought that I would go and cheer, pray for him and cheer him on and, and go to his, the reception afterwards and say, well done, and I'd be praying for him in the future, that sort of thing. And I was sitting quite a long way back in St. Paul's Cathedral. Anybody been to a service in St. Paul's Cathedral? And it's, oh, one of you has. Okay, it's quite a difficult place acoustically. And, you know, there's, I don't know, a thousand or two, three there. And, you know, the, all these dignitaries called bishops and other things, you know, dressed in fine robes, parade down the center aisle. And um, then you are there feeling a little bit like, because you're far from the front, an anonymous believer at the time. And I thought to myself, as I was musing, because I couldn't hear the sermon very easily, I was musing around the subject, which was the conversion of St. Paul. But I wasn't really thinking about St. Paul, because he became the visible, highly visible one. And I found myself identifying with the sort of invisible ones by whom I was surrounded, but actually who probably weren't aware that under the direction of God could become an incredible transforming people in the world today. But all the attention was on the bishops rather than upon the people. So why I'm telling the story of Ananias is because we are the people. And Christianity is meant to be a people movement where people empowered by the Spirit of God carry forward the kingdom of God in a way that no one or two individuals ever could. If it was left to the one or two, it would never happen. But if everybody became empowered by the Spirit of God, surely the world would be changed. So I think somebody's prepared to read the story right now. Is that right? Okay, great. <coughs> I forget your name. I'm sorry. Shalene, but your husband gave me a great lunch. <laughs> Shalene, thank you very much. <laughs> uh, sorry, that's, that was to confuse you if I was holding my Bible. It's in Jeremiah, and I thought if I held the Bible open in, in the middle of the Bible, Jeremiah, nobody would have a clue where that <laughs> verse came from. Okay, but this is Acts. Acts chapter 9. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogue in Damascus, so that if the foundry 
it, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you'll be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there, speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, and when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him to the land into, by the hand into Damascus. <clears throat> For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a dis disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him <clears throat> in a vision. Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man named Tarsus, named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he had seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to the saints in Jerusalem, and he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. Thank you. <clears throat> well, I love that story. And I hope that you will too. Uh, what I want to do is, as I say, focus on Ananias rather than Saul, who became Paul. But let's just remind ourselves about Saul to start with. First, he's a well-educated man. Uh, he'd become a rabbi. To do that, you had to be pretty bright and well-educated and well-versed in the law to teach it to others. Second, he was what we call nowadays an influencer. He's an incredible influencer in religious matters. So he was going to Damascus with a specific intent of influencing the religious leaders of his day there to take action against this group of, uh, this new formed group of Christians who were, in his mind, changing tradition. Oh my goodness, when you try to change tradition, you are up against it. And anybody that tries to change tradition is generally in whatever society they are in, whether it be the golf club or the tennis club or the late women's breakfast and changing the menu or the church or whatever it is, actually to change tradition. So you need an influencer, basically, of significance to change any tradition. And obviously, Saul was one of those. Thirdly, he violently opposed the Christians. We already know that he was present at an earlier stage where Stephen, the first Christian master, martyr, was stoned to death for following Jesus. And 
uh, no doubt Ananias knew something about this man's history. Now, I don't know what you feel about violent men. I, whenever I think of a violent man, there's something in me that goes tilt. I do not want to be confronted or to confront a violent man. Now, I don't know what the word is, the adjective is, to describe a man, or it could be a woman, that would make you not want to talk particularly to that person with that reputation. Uh, it could be a wealthy man. It could be an impressive man, an oppressive man. It could be an on-the-streets alcoholic man. It could be a drug addict man. It could be a gay man. But something probably in you tilts when you think of an adjective to describe a man or a woman in a particular way, and you think, I don't want to have much to do with that sort of a person. Saul was like that, no doubt, to all the believers, including Ananias. But here's the thing. God loves violent men. He doesn't love their violence, but he loves every single person. So whatever the adjective is doesn't matter to God because he still loves the person. And one of the things that we need to learn as followers of Jesus is as he did to rub out the adjective and see the heart of the person. And that's someone for whom the Lord himself came from heaven to hang on the cross, to open the door of heaven for the future to that person. So uh, more than that... <coughs> Uh, Saul suddenly has this encounter with um, the Lord on the way to Damascus, um, which changes everything for him, if we, if we move on. Suddenly, at this moment, he's faced with being wrong about Jesus. All of us here who are now followers of Jesus, at some stage, realized up until that point in our lives, when we gave our life to Jesus, we were wrong about Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> um, you, you know, he's a name that's known, even by people that don't know him. They, you know, oh, Jesus. So he's known, but he's not known. So when a person gets converted, always it involves an acknowledgement, I was wrong about you, Jesus. I didn't understand what you came for. I didn't understand you. I didn't know that you loved me. And that was a dramatic, overwhelming, sudden revelation that Paul had that day, such that he was blinded by the experience that he was having with God. And I don't know whether that was as a result of, as it were, heaven being opened and the light of the glory of heaven shining in such a way that he was literally physically blinded by that physical brightness. Um, I don't know whether it was uh, because actually he suddenly realized and there was something in him that was so ashamed of himself that in a sense he couldn't open his eyes any longer. He couldn't see physically with his eyes. His, his eyes went in be, completely shut off because he knew there was something about himself that was so utterly wrong and reprehensible in the sight of the purity of God. So more like a psychological impact upon him that meant that he could not see. What we do know is that he then spent two days without food, and I don't think that was fasting. I think it was actually in trauma or shock. 
because he'd been on his way to kill people and he thought he knew everything about this Jesus who was actually a traitor to the Jewish cause and now he's faced with the fact that up until this moment in his life he's been completely wrong about Jesus and he's traumatized by the fact that actually he'd been so wrong and so was about to do even worse things in the eyes of God and probably, I guess, he was shaking. I was with somebody the other day who, uh, a believer, but had actually... Uh, done something that they thought was wrong in their Christian life, as a result of which they were traumatized by it to the extent that in conversation with me, they were shaking. They, they weren't able to articulate what they had done. They, had become, they knew it was wrong. They knew it had been wrong against the Lord. They knew they felt extraordinary shame about it, and this person had not been eating for two days as a result of this shame that they felt. I think Paul was in that sort of shocked, utter shocked state at this moment. And he was, as it were, caught between two worlds. The world that he'd lived in previously and the world that he was now being invited into. And that's the truth of it. We we're transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God. And what a difference that is when we come to Jesus. And he was there at the moment with a foot in each camp. He couldn't go back, but at that moment he couldn't go forward either. And that's when the Lord spoke to Ananias. So come Ananias. And I'm saying the Ananias is really like you and me. <laughs> um, Insofar as, you know, not well known up to that point, not well known after that point, but used by God on an occasion. And all of us can be used by God on not just one, but actually on many an occasion. And I've said, Ananias, you and me, because what I'm going to draw from this is four or five quick things, which are principles of following Jesus, which I think are for every disciple. And if all of us put all of these into practice all the time, then, oh my goodness, we will become the mobilized people of God that will change the world. But as I talk about these things quickly, I want you to check yourself against them and think, am I good at this? Do I need to improve on this? Or how can I improve on this one? Okay? So you're, we're, we're each checking ourselves. Don't check the other people in the room. <laughs> Just think about yourself and how you're measuring up to what Ananias was exhibiting. So the first thing he was exhibiting was uh, well, it's, I'll put the text up and then the title up. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. If you just put the text up there. What was he doing? He was responding to the Lord's voice. That's the first principle. How do I respond to the Lord's voice? Do I always respond with a yes? Do I struggle to respond with a Yes. Do I hear the Lord's voice frequently? You did when you gave your life to him. You had to say yes to him when he said to you, will you follow me? Will you give your life to me? You realize I've given my life for you. Will you give your life for me? And you said, yes, Lord, I will. But actually, this is a daily conversation. Uh, I, when I start, first began the Christian life, I, I was taught to look in the Bible as I read it every day to see whether there was a promise that I could receive or a command that I needed to obey. When I read what he commands, do I say, yes, Lord. And if it's not written in the written word of God, still the spirit of God speaks to me. So I'm just going to use the word, the, the word nudge. 
when the Holy Spirit nudges you, do you or I say yes? And it was a little nudge to start with, probably, for Ananias. I mean, I don't know whether how many times the Lord said to him, Ananias, 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 get, I want your attention, before Ananias actually said, okay, Lord, you've got me my full attention right now. But at some point, he said, on this occasion, yes. Um, so, <laughs> there I was going to St. Paul's. You know, Tuesday was a bitterly cold day. And I'm thinking, I don't especially want to get on the tube and go to St. Paul's Cathedral. It's not really my scene, that sort of thing. And um, I find myself there. And the cathedral, of course, is cold because it's not been heated because of coronavirus. And uh, I, I, you know, I'm sitting surrounded by people I don't know. And I'm thinking, well, I'm wearing my mask, but how do I know everybody else has taken a COVID test today? And, you know, stuff like that. Um, and I'm, and I'm thinking, as the service is starting, and it seems so remote from me spiritually in some ways, and I'm thinking, I wonder how this would go down at Oakley on Sunday morning if it was this type of worship on Sunday morning at Oakley. And I'm thinking, probably it's not very relevant to very many of the people I'll see on Sunday morning. And so I'm thinking, Lord, what am I here for? But I felt that I should say yes to this invitation that I had, and I'd been thinking, why did I say yes? Anyway, the service, uh, in the sermon, I'm thinking, great, this, this, this is a preacher that I've heard of, but actually I couldn't really hear it and understand it. So I'm thinking at the end of the service, now I've got to go out and wait for a bus. It's freezing cold, and I'm not good at buses. And two buses go past, and the number 26, and I'm looking for number 76, and then I realize they're both going to the same place, so I catch the third. And I'm on the bus, and I'm saying, Lord, Lord, why am I doing this? Why am I doing this? You must show me why you've asked me to come. So in, I walk into this reception, and, which is at, at Lambeth Palace, and um, I'm thinking, well, actually, uh, I, might meet, I might see Justin Welby again, which would be quite fun because I haven't seen him for a while. But it's not anywhere near where he is. It's in a separate hall. But at the moment I walk into the hall, a man uh, walk, walks up to me and says, John, can I talk to you? We need a new vicar in this church that I, I'm at. And they're absolutely ready for the Holy Spirit's ministry. You remember that you came two years ago, and it was a really significant moment. And the vicar has now moved on. We, I, can you help us to find the right person to succeed him? When that conversation finished, I saw a recently retired clergyman, clergy person, and I felt the Lord say, go and talk to him. And so I started to talk to him, who's wanting to give his time in, re in retirement to the mentoring of younger church leaders, which is exactly, of course, what I'm spending my time doing. So we had a significant conversation together about him. And then there was another person that came up to me and said, John, I'm just wondering whether within New Wine we could now start a fellowship of people who are in senior positions in the Anglican Church because there are a number of us who are now archdeacons and bishops, including the person that's just been made a bishop. And some of the issues we face in following the ministry of the Spirit are different from the, many of the people around us. And actually what we believe is very different from some of the other um, people in senior office in the Church of England. Could we not form a fellowship of new wine people with the same vision and values? And within an hour, I had had three really significant conversations. I thought, Lord, thank you for nudging me and giving me the grace to say yes, even though I didn't really know why on earth I was doing this today. And with two of those things, I've already begun to follow those conversations up already since Tuesday. How good am I? at sensing the nudge of the Spirit and saying yes, even though I might be a little bit confused about where it's going to take me 
do I still say yes? Second thing, <coughs> the, the next text is, uh, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. I just want to focus on the first word for a minute, go. And I'm doing that because one of the words that came out in the prayer meeting at the beginning was that this is a time for Oakley on going on the offensive. That is what the word go means. It means don't stay in the same place you're in at the moment. It means it geographically. It means it spiritually. It means it relationally. We need to be, as we're expansive in our attitude in life towards other people, we don't go into our caves. Sorry, man, you can't do it all the time at least. We're all meant to be turned outwards. It Maybe we need to be in our case in order to gain strength, but actually the word is always go. And that's what um, the Lord says to Ananias here, go to the house of Judas. So what am I talking about here? I put the, the title, it's speaking of Jesus to specific people. See, uh, the Lord says to Ananias, here's this man named Saul, I want you to go to speak to him. For each of us in our lives... There are specific people that the Lord asks us to go to and hasn't got anybody else to go to them. That might be your relatives, it might be your neighbors, it might be your work colleagues, it might be other people who you had no previous relationship that the Lord will one day say to you, go to that person that you might be meeting as you're giving them coffee on the street or in John Lewis. That person is the person I want you to speak to today. I want you to, because you're the person I've got here. You're on the front line here. You're the one that's filled with the Spirit. Don't think you've got to go back and ring Mike. Oh, no, Mike's leaving anyway, so you can't ring him any longer. Or wait, wait until the new vicar comes. No, no, it's not like that. You're the one. You're the one. You're the one. You're the one. If everyone gets an understanding here that you are the one, then actually, oh, we're the mobilized people of God. That way, the word of God spread much, spreads much, much more quickly. Speaking of Mike, I do remember, uh, and I'm not sure whether I said this at the uh, celebration of the first 50 years of Oakley. Oh, it's not quite 50 years, is it? You know, 20 years it was, wasn't it? Um, um, uh, that we were meeting as a, as a group of people, uh, the leadership team at St. B's, and we'd been offered this opportunity of... Um, planting into the Oakley building. And uh, as we were praying about that opportunity, I just had my eyes open at one moment, and I was looking around, and I just felt the Lord said, it's Mike. And so um, when we finished this little time of prayer, I said, well, look, Mike, I think it could be you. And I had no idea when I said that that the Lord had already prepared him. So the next part of this uh, verse here is, these people are prepared by God. So as well as to Ananias, God had already spoken to Saul, and he'd had a vision, and he actually had a vision of you, Ananias, coming to place your hands on him, and you would pray for him. And so when I said to Mike, Mike, I think it's you, then Mike revealed that actually years ago he'd been passing here, and he felt the Lord say to him, this is the place where you're going to come and be a pastor. So when we get that nudge from the Lord, the Lord has already prepared other people. So at that meeting, uh, and I was at a lunch, and I was at a reception the other day, um, you know, I didn't know who I was going to be speaking to, but the Lord had already prepared people, and so two of them initiated the conversation with me rather than I actually had to initiate it with them because the Lord had prepared them for a conversation with me about something significant for them. 
And that will happen many, many, many times in life. So a nudge of the Spirit, what does it look like or feel like? It could be just a nudge to go up to somebody and say something nice to them. In the um, 365 Bible, um, uh, what's it called? Lectio 365 thing. The prayer that I use most days is, Jesus, help me to give myself away to others today, being kind to everyone I meet. Now imagine just that we all tried to do that. Being positively, taking the initiative in, being kind to everyone we met. I don't think even that would make a difference. But in your kindness, you might find yourself saying particular things as well. Um, Blessing them with some conversation about the Lord or encouragement about who they are, whether they're in Christ yet or not in Christ, speaking prophetically, powerfully over them, um, giving them a vision for the future of their life. Um, What does it mean, nudge of the Spirit? It could be to ring somebody up or to go and visit somebody, send somebody a WhatsApp or a text. When you feel you ought to do it, you ought to do it. I had a phone call um, with somebody the other day. I'd rang up a friend of his who's not well at a moment that he was actually visiting that friend. And he said that my phone call at the moment that he was there doubled the value of his visit. (laughs) And I don't know why I just chose to ring at that moment. I, I, I can't... I mean, I'd been meaning to ring for a while, but then suddenly I did it. I think that was a nudge from the Holy Spirit. So pay attention to those little things because when the Lord nudges you with his spirit, that's the moment to say, yes, Lord. How are we doing? Are you doing all right? Okay, this is the story of Ananias, you and me. Okay, um, what it will next involve is something else. Go. Oh, that's the same word as we had a moment ago, isn't it? It is. That's right. Go. It must be on the offensive today for Oakley. Go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Why did the Lord say that? Basically because uh, acting courageously is something that we're all required to do. And the Lord had to say this because basically Ananias' knees were shaking. They were knocking together. I mean, he has a little argument with the Lord. Lord, I know about this man's reputation. Do you really mean that's what I ought to do? And just like Saul, in a sense, had a, uh, was caught between two worlds at this moment, I think Ananias must have been caught between two worlds at this moment. So imagine him talking to his family or Christian family at this moment. Oh, the Lord's just spoken to me and said, I've got to go and talk to Saul and lay hands on him. Saul, you can't go and talk to him. He'll take your head off. Or stone you, it probably would have been, actually, wouldn't it? Not take your head off. But, I, I mean, if you, sometimes if you say, as a believer, what you feel the Lord has told you to do to other, even believers, they probably will react with a little bit of ridicule. Extraordinary, isn't it? But, and so uh, there, there are times when we will have to take courage in front of our friends as well as those in front of whom we're seeking to minister and speak to about Jesus. But we will need courage. And of course, that's where we take refuge in the Lord. has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and of love and a sound mind. Or power can mean courage, be translated courage in that text in Timothy. So don't be afraid at times. If you feel the Lord speaks to you 
and you're not even too sure whether you can verbalize it easily to your friends. I'm, I'm going to still encourage you to verbalize it to your friends. Check out whether it really is the Lord, if it's something seem, seems as wacky as it would have done to um, Ananias on this occasion. But nonetheless, you will also at times just need to pray for the Spirit of God to give you the courage to say what the Lord has given you to say. And pray for wisdom that you'll say it in such a way that it will be received. And on many occasions when we do that, we'll find actually that the Lord has gone ahead of us and prepared that person for what we have to say, just like he prepared Paul for what he had to say. Fourthly, um, did I say there were 75 of these points? (laughs) No, there's not. Uh, Fourthly, this is what he says, Brother Saul... The Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And what does this mean? This means that we should be people praying for God's supernatural work. This is what the Lord asks all of us to do. This is not just for a few highly trained, anointed people in church on a Sunday. This is what it means to be a disciple that we become like Jesus. Jesus did this all day, every day. Sometimes he was exhausted at the end of the day. Sometimes he was exhausted after a few days that he had to try and escape from people because this is continuous, draining, spiritual work. But this is the work of the daughters and the sons of the King of Kings. As he did, so we do. And so Ananias is invited by the Lord to go and do this over Paul, to lay hands on him, to pray that he'd see again a physical miracle, and secondly, that he'd be filled with the Holy Spirit. The first is an event. The second is a life-changing, continuous process. So the event was he got his sight back immediately. The process also began with an experience of being filled with the Spirit. But the, I, but the Scripture says, go on being filled with the Spirit. And the reason for praying for both of those two things for Paul was that God knows that Paul could never have done it without a continuous filling and refilling and filling and refilling and filling and refilling day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year. Friends, We've got to keep praying for people to be filled afresh with the Holy Spirit. For me to be filled afresh with the Holy Spirit. For you to be filled afresh with the Holy Spirit. I'm going to say something that Paul said. I want you all to speak in tongues. I know that many of you do. I know that some of you don't. Some of you may even have been prayed for more than once for it. But actually the truth is Paul still writes under the unction of God in Scripture, I want you all to speak in tongues. Because he knows that this is one of the significant gifts and ministries of the Holy Spirit and means by which we can continuously pray for ourselves and for others to go on being filled with the Spirit and be courageous for Jesus. Um, Unfortunately, she's not here today, but I'm going to say, ask um, Andy Ginger... Um, about going into the Barnet Hospital to pray for Isabel Cox. So uh, Andy came to, to us at St. Bees when we were beginning to learn to pray for people who are sick in a way we'd never prayed before. And she was working as in the administration department up at Barnet Hospital, and she knew Isabel through a, stu- uh, you know, a home group that we had uh, at St. Bees. 
And Isabel was originally one of the older members of the church who probably with others resisted the changes that under God I was seeking to bring into the church. But then she was critically ill and ended up in Barnet Hospital. And we were praying for her in the church. And so Andy said to me one day, I think, I think the Lord says I should go and pray for her every day. So I thought, oh my goodness. Well, that's a th- if the Lord said it, may he give you grace to do it. Because going to pray for somebody every day is quite a significant thing. Especially somebody that isn't particularly... Uh, hasn't up until this point in their life been part of an understanding that we pray over each other with the laying on of hands and we believe for God's healing. Anyway, Andy did that. I can't remember how many weeks or months it was. Anne, I'm looking to you. Can you remember how many weeks or months it was? A long time, Anne says, putting her arms wide apart. (laughs) It was a long time and she did that faith because she felt the Lord had told her to do it. And Isabel came out of the hospital and she was the first person ever having that treatment who had walked out of the hospital alive. Everybody else having a treatment like she was having ended up dying with that treatment still going on. And Isabel walked out alive and well and lived for a few more years subsequently without that treatment that she was having at that time. I think that was the Lord. And that's because of um, Andy's faithfulness and just hearing the voice of the Lord and going and praying for something that actually everybody else was thinking, this is not possible. Faithfully she did it and the Lord answered. Last thing. I'm going to say is this. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. Bringing sight to the blind. This is Jesus' manifesto in Luke chapter 4. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me to bring good news to the poor, recovery of sight to the blind. Friends, once you were blind, now you can see. That's what coming to Jesus means, doesn't it? Um, in the great hymn, Once I Was Blind, Now I Can See. We are surrounded by people who are blind. Now, you, you know that Anne and I have a blind granddaughter, and we're familiar with praying for a blind person for the recovery of their physical sight, and we're still praying for it even though we haven't yet seen it, but we're still praying for it. But all of around us, we are surrounded by people who are spiritually blind, what we know from Bella is that we can't blame her when she cannot do things that we expect she ought to be able to do. She cannot see what's in front of her, so she cannot easily, immediately pick it up. And she cannot feed herself easily because she cannot see what she's doing. She cannot move without bumping into things because she cannot see what's in front of her. If we let her do that all the time, she would naturally hurt herself seriously. Being spiritually blind is exactly the same. People cannot see. They don't know where they are. They don't know where they're going. Left to their own devices, they will naturally hurt themselves. We live in the midst of a blind, hurting people. And friends, the Lord says to us, go and set them free. Set the prisoners free. Bring recovery of sight to the blind. And in order to do that, we've got to make sure that we don't first judge and criticize them and bash them over the head with an understanding that's a false understanding that thinks that they ought to know better and they're lousy sinners. They are actually just blind. And those that have sight, that's you and me under the grace of the Lord, are those that are commissioned by the Lord to bring sight to the blind so they can see 
in a way they've never seen before. Ananias, just in summary, responding to the Lord's voice, speaking of Jesus to specific people, acting courageously, praying for God's supernatural work, bringing sight to the blind. I think that's what it means to follow Jesus, friends. (laughs) You don't have to be dressed in a bishop's refinery. (laughs) There's no special people, in a sense, in the kingdom of God, although it's clear that when Ananias did what the Lord asked him to do, the Lord then greatly used the one he'd gone and prayed for. But that might be true for any of us here. You know, our neighbor, our friend, our work colleague, whom we share the gospel with or pray for and see them getting, seeing in a, in a way spiritually or something miraculous happening in their life. We have no idea who in God they might become in the future. And that's why as we all commit ourselves to doing it, oh my goodness, this isn't just us as the people of God, but there's a multiplying effect of it in the lives of those that we go to as well, isn't there? So you're losing Mike, but you're not losing the Spirit of God. He is upon each and in each one of us. And as we keep being disciples like Ananias, oh my goodness, the future is glorious, friends. The kingdom of God is advancing. The kingdom of God is advancing. Now, uh, what I'd like us to do is something slightly different as we draw to a conclusion today. Why don't you all stand if you're able to? And if not, don't worry, uh, you can still do this. But this means that this is the moment when <coughs> I'm going to stop. Whew. Sorry if I've sounded a bit breathless, friends. I've got a rather a big head cold at the moment. I did do my COVID test this morning to make sure I wasn't going to infect you. But um, I feel I've, as if I've been a bit sluggish. <laughs> uh, well, the... Yeah, I, 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 come on then. Yeah, I'm up for that. Thank you, Lord. Yeah, you are a man, Terry. Who taught you to do that stuff? Yes, Lord. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. I receive that, Lord. Thank you. Thank you. Well, basically, Terry, you modelled just then what I'm going to ask everybody to do right now. So, what? What? Remember, this is the, the Lord, and I'm going to ask the Lord to speak to everyone. And what I'm going to ask is that the Lord will show you somebody else here. And then you'll do exactly what Ananias did. So you're going to hear the Lord's voice. Who, Lord? You're thinking, who, Lord? You're going to thinking, what, Lord? And then you're going to go to them and say, I think this is what the Lord has asked me to pray for you. That's exactly what Ananias did. Um, and we, this, is, this is, in a sense, an easy place to do that because you've all heard the sermon. You all know this is what's expected of you. And in doing it this morning, it'll make it easier for you to do it every day this week with other people around you. Does that make sense? I know you're terrified now as I said that, so I'm just going to speak for a moment or two more to help you to overcome your fear. And that's why I spoke about being courageous, because for some of you this will require great courage, and I'm not going to whip you if you don't do it. (laughs) You know, it's not like that. But this is the moment where you can be used by God to bless somebody else. And somebody will be used by God to bless you. Lord, we, we, 
we stand in awe of you. And I want to say thank you in front of my friends here for the people that first told me about Jesus. The people that prayed for me. The people that came to me. The people that kept praying for me. The people that prayed for me to get filled with the Spirit. The people like Terry who prayed for me in specific circumstances. I thank you that you're behind it all, Lord. That you have the very best in mind for me. And you use other people to bring that to me. And I pray that as you've done it for me, so now you do it through me for others. And I pray that for each person here today, Lord. That you give them somebody here. Nudge them by your spirit. And give them courage to go to them. And wisdom to say it over them. That releases a better future for them. Holy Spirit giver of good gifts. Give your gifts of revelation, speech, and wisdom. And accompany it with the coming of your spirit, I pray. In power. In Jesus' name. Okay, so you can open your eyes now. I should say, if, if you have not yet given your life to Jesus, please don't feel you have to join in with this. Um, but if you have, then you felt the whole nudge of the Holy Spirit. You can look around before you do this. Some of you won't even have to look around. You'll have just thought of somebody as you were praying then and think, that's the person I'm going to go to right now. But if you didn't think of somebody, then look around and just say, Holy Spirit, nudge me.